Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. You know, one of the things that makes Greenlight Guru unique is our what we call our Guru Edge. And more specifically, we have a whole team of people, medical device gurus, who have a ton of industry experience prior to joining Greenlight Guru. And I thought we would try uh, something a little bit different on the Global Medical Device Podcast. I thought we would feature some of our gurus and and let you know a little bit about who they are and their background and how they work with customers and medical device companies all over the globe. So enjoy this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host and founder at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. And continuing with, I guess, a series that we started recently. Uh, This is another one of these episodes of a Meet a Guru episode. As many of you may be aware, or some of you may not even be aware, but Greenlight Guru we have on staff folks that we call medical device gurus. And these are people who have a ton of medical device industry experience. And they're so valuable to the Greenlight Guru team uh, because they help inform and shape the product, uh, the software platform. But they also work very closely with our customers and, and helping uh, all of our medical device customers achieve their key milestones and major events and things of that nature. And joining me today is Erica Loring. Erica, welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hi, John. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. I suppose maybe a good place to start is give everybody, I guess, maybe a a little bit of an overview of of who you are, your background, and, and that sort of thing. Sure. So I have been in the medical device and biotech industry for going on over 15 years now, starting in pharmaceutical and then making my way into IVDs and then medical device. And my specialty is really around medical device and IVDs. So I've been doing that for you know 12 years now um, on the West Coast and I've had a lot of fun with it. You and I were, t- were talking the uh, just earlier about you grew up on the East Coast, um, so you kind of have seen, I-, I guess, both extremes in the United States anyways, but how does somebody from, from the East Coast find their way to the West Coast? Yeah, yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. You know, I grew up on the, in the East Coast and working in the pharmaceutical industry and biotech, I kind of got tired of the cold winters. Like, I think anyone... Well, a lot of people do. Um, And I decided, you know, at a young age to kind of venture out and explore a new area of the country. And I figured, well, the options are kind of Seattle, San Francisco, uh, and then we have San Diego, who has a big biotech hub too. And the weather, you can't just beat the weather. So I kind of just hopped in my car and hoped for the best coming out here. Um, So it was a little bit of a... uh, little bit of a passion project and a, a leap of faith. <laughs> have, have you missed the winter yet? No. Oh. <laughs> um, you know what? I just went back east um, um, for the fall and that was incredible. That I missed dearly. Yeah. But the winter, I mean, I just feel like it's, it's getting ridiculous. It's five months of 
cold and snow and yeah, and I, I like I like my temperature here in San Diego. But I, I mean, it's fall. I do miss the fall. I mean, it's hard to be uh, seventy and sunny pretty much every day out of the year, right? Yeah, yeah. I would say it's it's like a plus or minus five out of seventy five. So <laughs> as soon as it drops below seventy, we're complaining. As soon as it drops, I mean, as soon as it goes above eighty, we're complaining. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so you, um, I mean, my entry into the medical device industry, I, I, uh, I, I always describe it as somewhat accidental. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I needed a job out of school. I mean, I have a chemical engineering background and that's a, a med device industry is somewhat atypical for, for chemical engineering, but it sounds like you intentionally wanted to go in, into this industry. Well, kind of. Um, I was similar boat. I had just gotten out of college, and I, my, my best friend, who actually moved out here now with me, it's, it's um, his family. He had two family members that worked at Lanza Biologics, which is a pretty big biotech pharmaceutical contract manufacturing company. They had a big firm in um, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and they offered me, you know, entry level quality job that I was testing water samples pretty much all day, um, WIFI, water per injection. Um, so that's what I was doing. It definitely wasn't like, yeah, yeah I want to work at a pharmaceutical company, but I do have my degree in organic chemistry and biology. So I figured that was a good point of entry, and especially in New Hampshire, there's not a whole lot of options. So I took a job, ended up being pretty good at it, but it was one of those times where the kind of country went on a freeze of hiring and I wasn't in the position I really wanted to. And they weren't really moving a lot of people around. So I took my bonus and I headed out West and yeah. I figured the best way to continue to support myself on my own is continue down that, that pathway. So I kind of just kept going. So you're a real nerd. I mean, you have a degree in organic chemistry. I mean, as a chemical engineer, I had to take a lot of organic chemistry classes and Man, what a pain for me. Anyway. Yeah, so. <laughs> it, is. it is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> no. I mean, you probably had the little the little kits with all the little molecules and you're building these, you know, cyclohexane uh, models and all that sort of thing, huh? Yep. Yes. That is far in my past. I haven't brought out organic <laughs> chemistry equation in probably longer than my career. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. So you were um, the you have a, a, a currently a somewhat of a I guess a unique distinction at Greenlight being the newest guru to the team of gurus, and and I know it's still early days, but what do you enjoy about being a medical device guru at Greenlight? Yeah, I I mean easily I can say that I really enjoy talking to all these different companies who have various degrees of different kinds of medical devices. And since they are startup, a lot of them are very um, unique and new. And they're, they're coming into this thinking they're going to change the world. And they have these brilliant ideas and improvement for life. You know, it's, it's awesome to be able to see um, and hear about all these products and then also help them, guide them with the decisions that they're making and how to run, you know, a quality management system. What regulatory pathways are they are they considering? Um, things like that. So I, I I find that I love that. It's so it's so inspiring. You know, we have gurus on our team who have strengths and expertise in new product development. Others who have expertise in setting up a quality management system. You know, getting ISA certification. Others who are um, more versed in 
design transfer and, and manufacturing types of operations. What would you say are your uh, your superpowers with respect to to the guru role? I mean, what what areas of the medical device industry are are your specialty? Yeah. Um, I really love regulatory. I've been doing that for quite some time. Um, I've put a, a number of 510Ks through the FDA process and sat on a few boards um, for startups to, to launch new products um, and developing their regulatory pathways, you know, pre-submission meetings, um, all sorts of things regulatory. I love that stuff. Um, that's definitely very nerdy. Um, also quality management systems. I think that's, I've been doing that the longest you know, I've set a few up in startup companies. I've broken a few down and rebuilt them. Um, and and I, I'm passionate about that just because it really does help the company function better. And, and you can have a sense of more security in the quality of product that's coming in and out of the doors every day. So those are probably my two biggest strengths is quality management in a whole and then regulatory as well. All right, and we'll we'll probably dive into both of those a little bit. I, I'd like to start with I think something that, um, at least in my experience, is sometimes confusing in this industry. It, it, there's this to the layperson, they they um, oftentimes will lump QARA quality assurance regulatory affairs. They will often lump these into one mm-hmm. role, I guess, so to speak. And and I think there's this assumption or conventional wisdom that regulatory and quality are kind of the same thing. And I, and I think it's it's complicated a little bit because generally in a smaller company, there's usually one person who or, or, or a small team who focuses on both QA and the RA side of things. But these are very different disciplines. Can you maybe yeah. elaborate on, on on those a little bit? Yeah. I You know, I've definitely played both roles in most of my companies because they are smaller. Um, there has been a, a few times where companies have, you know, the respect or understanding that they are two definitely different disciplines that you should be focusing on these two separate things. Yeah. Most of the time, a lot of companies do keep them similar and they do run a similar path where, you know, they cross, you both have to understand ISO 1345 because you have this quality management system and both uh, kind of QA and RA do, do work with quality management systems, but QA is really working on, the quality and the continuous improvement of the quality management system and things within that. So you have your CAPAs, your non-conformances, your non-conformances, your all sorts of things that you got going in your quality management system, writing up your SOPs. Then you have your regulatory who really should be focused on your development of the product going into the market and post-market. Developing regulatory strategies, what countries are they going in, what product codes do they need to have, testing, um, timelines, costs, budgets, uh, and, and staying up to date with all the current ISO and 21 CFRs. You know, those are always changing ever. And that is no small feat to, to make sure that your company is meeting all of those regulations. Um, you know, we had a pretty big couple of years where they, you had the, the MDRs and the IVDRs, the ISO 1345, they all kind of changed significantly and, and that, that's a big undertaking for a regulatory person who's also trying to put forward new products into the market. That's, that's, a, that's a lot of work to con- and to also have to focus on the quality man- management system of CAPAs and, and making sure that you're having 
you know, good audits and all that stuff. So it's, it's a lot of work for uh, a single person if they don't have a, a pretty talented team behind them. For sure. Um, I remember, um, well, early days of my career and, you know, there's always this um, adage, you know, about throwing th- something over the wall. And I think a lot of companies probably even still today do a lot of this where, <clears throat> you know, product development, they get done with, or they get to a point in the process where now they throw it over the wall and now it's up to regulatory to to work their magic and and that sort of thing. And then, mm-hmm. you know, you, you hope that quality is not getting in the way of of productivity and, and, and getting things across the finish line. Um, do you have any uh, stories or, or uh, good or bad where, you know, you've seen folks throw things over the wall and some of the, the downsides of that, or, or maybe some examples of where, you know, there was this nice cross functionality. Any stories on, on either of those fronts? Yeah. I mean, I, I came from a really great company, um, Agena Bioscience, and they, they, I liked that they put a lot of worth in regulatory from the beginning. Um, and, you know, I was part of product development from the very beginning, from concept, uh, from concepting, the product with marketing. And I worked very closely with marketing all the way through. We had really great meetings of cross-functionality to develop these products. And I hadn't really had an experience like that before. It was oftentimes, uh, essentially I was presented with a product and then I would have to fill in the gaps from there. You know, there wasn't any design development, input outputs. I was essentially... making those up that had already happened. Um, and that was always a challenge because people and manufacturers, engineers don't really don't have that mindset of writing down these input outputs. They know what they need to get across. They have an idea and they do it, but they don't document all that thought process along the way. So I really appreciate my last company and how much work they put forward into regulatory to be part of the very concept to to launching to post market. So I was I was proud of being part of a company like that. Um, but I've definitely struggled where um, FDA comes in and they 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 ask for um, you know your design development files, and then I'm pretty much doing a song and dance of some hokey pokey thing that was put together yeah. way past the product had already gone to market. Um, so yeah, there's there's challenges. There. Yeah, and and I, I'll lean into that a little bit. I I think the conventional wisdom that I've heard a lot throughout my career, especially from engineers and product developers, is is it's almost like they don't appreciate the value of of documenting inputs and outputs and mm-hmm. all the other design and development activities. And um, you oft, or I've often heard anyway that that a lot of folks think of that as an, an obstacle to them getting things done. How would you react to, to somebody that has that point of view? Well, yeah, it is. They, they feel as though they've already thought of all of these things, but really, it's really hard to think about all these things if you don't have a systematic way of going through, okay, what harms could there be? If you're really challenging people to think about hazards and harms and diving down deep, it's kind of like the, the five, the five whys, right? So if you challenge them to think down deep, you're going to pull more out of that and you're going to have a better product. Um, you're going to have a lot more input or thought, thought input into that 
and I, it is it is good to have this the structure when when going through the design. I know every single engineer I've always talked to, it's it's kind of a pain, but homework assignment, I've, I pretty much have had to sit down with them and go through it ourselves. So it's, it's not, it doesn't come naturally to, to these engineer brains who want to just go, go, go and put it through. But this is really challenging you to think of all of the, the methods of where it could fail, how you can prevent it from failing and, and making a better product. Yeah. And I'll just build upon that. I think, you know, I, I don't have any reference materials or resources to cite here, but my experience, you know, doing this for 22 years indicates to me that having good design and development practices, including good documentation around inputs and outputs and and all risk and all the other things that go into designing and developing a device, um, and and actually makes things go faster instead of slower. So, uh, because, you know, I, I've seen teams where they they failed to do a good job of documenting their inputs and outputs. Uh, they threw thing the thing over the wall to to the regulatory person. The regulatory person is trying to put together, you know, extract information by whatever means necessary to compile a five ten k or a tech file or something of that nature. And then, to your point, you know, at some point in time, may be subjected to an FDA. Uh, inspection or an ISO audit or something like that. And now somebody's got to do a song and dance to try to connect dots and tell the story when there's not, you know, objective evidence, there's not documentation exactly. that, that may even be existing to corroborate things. And and then that oftentimes that creates this, this whole um, sp- spiral of things where now you got to go back and update something. And I mean, nothing, nothing worse than having to work on a, a design history file remediation project because you didn't document things properly the first time and now you're pulling your resources off of of the new thing you want to develop because they got to go back and fix the the thing that that you already have on the market i mean that's just the pain it is it is and like you said you're pretty much scraping together information that may or may not be there and, and you're doing your best but yeah the remediation is never fun of going back and sometimes you have to do that that work over again so you ha- yeah, you have to run the test sometimes over again to get the results to prove that yes, it, it did pass or we did think about this and this is how it turned out. Yeah. It's that's never fun. You wanna you wanna continually move forward and bring things, you know, to the forefront for your company. But yeah, so doing things right the first time always is the better the better foot forward. I know, I know it sounds cliche. We, we've we've all heard "do it right" the first time, and if it's not documented, it didn't happen. And I can I can almost hear some folks who might be listening to this episode rolling their eyes as I make that statement. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess put your your quality hat on for a moment. How does quality enable or 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 become an obstacle for those sorts of things? Well, you know. I- in my career, and I think it's, I think it's generally, you know, quality people are already seen as the police. You know, we're always kind of the, the naysayers and the party poopers that come in and, and, you know, say things are being done wrong or asking for more documentation or going in and doing this kappa and filling things out. So um, in general, I think quality is, is almost seen as sometimes slowing the company down or, if, you know, if I come into an uh, an a lab as a quality person, you're seeing people like shuffling papers around, hiding things. Um, you know, we're asked, 
we do go through and check all to see if the I's are dotted, the T's are crossed. Everything is there. I've ne- I, I was always, I was kind of the bottlenecker, I would, I would have to say, because I did really read through all the, all the documents that are being put forward for a new device. I was reading it thoroughly. Um, and, and I was rewarding things. I was sending it back. Um, I was making sure it was meeting the requirements of the company if it was meeting our quality policy. You know, getting documents through design or getting it through change control, um, you know, all those fun things seems like a hindrance when it's happening. And, you know, we're trying to get mar- rush to market, rush out the door, things of that nature, trying to meet, meet demand. Um, you know, quality is, is sometimes seen as a hindrance, uh, which is unfortunate. And you definitely have to have a, a gentle hand of, of okay, yes, Yes, you need to be strict, but you also have to be able to work with people and in, 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 a, in a positive way. And, and I always liked trying to be as personal as possible. So when I do need to push back and get these kind of hard things um, moving, or if I had to give someone back a, a kappa or an investigation or something that I'm not completely scowled at. But so, yeah, I, I see, you know, quality can be seen as this kind of bottleneck sometimes to either launching products, getting products at the door or just in your daily function. I, I know handing off a, a Kappa to an engineer, you, they have enough on their plate. They don't, they don't want to write this. They don't, they don't even know how, what I'm looking for. Um, and they know they, they, they know they don't want to put something forward and then I have to send it back because that just creates more work for them. So um, I get the understanding of, you know, quality can kind of be a, not a hindrance, but a bottleneck sometimes. But obviously we know as nerds that it's the right thing to do because we actually are continuously improving and we're making sure that we have good product from the beginning to the end. Absolutely. It sounds like, you know, some of your career experience and, and, and some of mine are, are similar. And, and I, um, I go back to, I'm very fortunate. The first uh, job that I had out of school was as a product development engineer uh, at a company called Cook Medical, and and I worked with their critical care division. And truly, certainly looking back on it now, uh, and even then, you know, felt truly blessed because that group was led um, by a guy, and I'll name him. He's he's uh, one of my early uh, formative mentors. Uh, the guy's name's Bruce Jingles, and I give him a lot of credit because he built. Um, a business unit that was cross-functional. Um, you know, we have project updates that included not only the engineers, but marketing and sales and manufacturing and regulatory and quality. We had, we had everybody there involved in the decisions and involved throughout the entire process. And I, and I think this is where a lot of companies get tripped up too, especially with new product development, is they look at it as the responsibility of engineering and mm-hmm. and they miss the point that new product development is cross-functional. It it has to have voices and influence from all the different functional areas because we all have a stake in this, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, I have to agree. So I know that I mean I don't know how many customers your Greenlight customers you're working with um, presently. Um, so I guess the next question is you can you know, if you have some green light customers that you can highlight 
That's great. If not, you know, maybe some other experiences that you had prior to Greenlight, but what are some of your favorite customer stories in your career so far? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, you know, my short career here at Greenlight, I've just started taking on clients, I think fully in October. But um, one of my funny experiences was um, we were doing, uh, I don't even know if I should say this out loud, we were doing these breathe exercises, um, group meditations, I think, um, in, in my department, I love that green light puts so much effort into personal and, and business growth in the, in us. So I think that's really great. Um, I have a hard time sitting still sometimes. I, so we did take our, our disc profiles, right? Um, and if you don't know what that is, it's kind of like a personality test for communication within the work atmosphere and how, what kind of personality traits you have. I'm pretty high D and a little bit I. That means I am kind of, I'm going to say aggressive, but I, I like things done. I like bullet points. Um, I don't waste a whole lot of time chit-chatting, but then I have the I side of it, so I'm social. So just to get to the point is this breathing exercise, being the strong D, I kind of want to bullet point this breathing exercise and let's keep going on the day. So um, I kind of communicated this to, to Taylor Brown. And I was like, hey, do you have any clients I can hop on with? I'm feeling a little antsy, which, you know, at that point, you should probably think about breathing a little more. But <laughs> um, so she's like, you know, I have this company and it happened to be called Breathe 99. And I was very new to being a Greenlight Guru. And she's like, it's a medical device mask company. And, you know, and we're, we've talked about this. Um, I've had so many clients, especially in between um, my last position at Mask Control to here. I was doing consulting and getting um, a lot of EUAs, emergency use acts, and, and um, PPE 510Ks through the FDA process. So they happened to be a mask company. I'm like, oh, goodness, that's right up my alley. I've been doing, that's all I've been doing for the past year. So um, I hop on and I'm essentially supposed to be uh, a complete listener bystander at this point because I pretty much just started at Greenlight. And I just took over the entire meeting <laughs> and talked to them all about their masks and their regulatory pathways and what options, you know, weighing out, let's look at what, what you can get out of the EUA and what, what's, what, why is that good? But then also let's look at the 510K and why that's beneficial as well, pros and cons. And I, and, and, and I was really excited to be able to kind of hop on the client call and they were ecstatic, of course, to have someone with mask experience, getting it through the, you know, the, the process and all the testing. So that was a fun one. That made me feel really good. You know, coming into a company, you're, you're a little bit shy about, okay, well, I don't hundred percent. I don't know the system. Great. So I'm definitely a newbie, but I feel as though I'm, I'm pretty well versed in, you know, my, my industry knowledge, but so it was really fun to be able to flex my industry knowledge kind of right out the gate and help a company out pretty quickly. Absolutely. I mean, and, and masks are a, a very hot topic in the current uh, global environment these days. Um, yeah. yeah, I put a, th- a few through um, yeah. EUA and 510K. Nice. So, I, yeah. um, I'll remind me, to, I'll, I'll share this with you later. And sorry, folks, but I'll, maybe I'll just give a, a quick plug to to an initiative that I've been a little bit involved with that's sort of in that, that uh, space as well. The organization is called Masks On. Uh, uh-huh. You can learn m- more about what they're doing. It's maskson.org. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been a, I guess the best way to describe it is a, a 
crowdfunded initiative where they basically are taking a scuba mask, uh, a full face scuba mask, and replacing the snorkel that that happens to sit on the top of the head. It, it, I don't know if I'm doing a good job of describing the visual here, but um, yeah, I know the mask that you're talking about. Okay, um, for for the this may date me a little bit, but there was a cartoon I used to watch when I was a, a kid called The Snorks. Um, <laughs> kind of reminds me of that, right? Um, but they replaced the the snorkel part and they put a a filter on it. And they were they were offering these masks free to anyone who requested them, and and of course they were soliciting donations so that they could at least cover their costs and that sort of thing. But it's been a really exciting an initiative to to be a part of. Um, it's really awesome when you know you you get a chance to work with a team and a company who really is um, they're altruistic, but also they really care about the quality of life. Yeah, that's awesome. I just I just hopped on and is exactly what I was thinking it was. Yeah, that that does look like snarks, huh? That's fun. <laughs> um, so I guess um, one of the things I mean, you've got you know the fifteen years of experience, pharma, device, IVD, quality, regulatory. You've put together five ten k submissions and. I'm sure you've built some regulatory strategies to help companies with the go-to-market plans. You've implemented quality systems. You've taken companies through 1345 certification. So a ton and of of experience. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm curious. Can you boil down all of your experience into maybe a few key bullet points as to how medical device companies can be successful in the market today? Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> Wait, how long do we have another hour down? <laughs> um, you know what? I, I really, truly believe investing in your people is going to be one of your biggest successes. Um, so often do I see quality and regulatory be a very sliver part of a company, you know, one or two people. Um, and it's just important to have you know, not to wear these people out and, you know, load everything on, like we said, putting, um, making someone a quality regulatory manager, that's all well and good. But I would hope that they would also have, you know, support behind them. So making sure that you have the right people and enough people, you know, that is part of the 1345 is that make sure that you have enough people, equipment, and space to make your, qual- your, make your product successfully. And, and that's one of the biggest things, um, hurdles I've seen in companies is not investing enough in their people. That's definitely a big one. Um, another one is, you know, give yourself time. Um, a lot of companies, you know, want to rush, 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 rush. And when you do rush, oftentimes things are overlooked Tests don't come out the way exactly the way they want, and then something fails, and then and then you're way over your your budgeted time, and 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 doesn't look good on anybody. Um, plan for extra time and failures and 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 things like that. So I can't tell you how many times I've I've been on a rushed project, and and at the very end, it doesn't quite meet the user the inputs. Um, and the user needs that we we set out to do because we we're rushing it a little bit too fast, and then guess what? Now we're way over, way over a milestone. Um, so time, people. What else is a good one? 
Just the quality. You know, um, a lot of people do skimp on sometimes sending their quality people out to actually um, investigate your suppliers. Um, you know, suppliers can look really good on the internet, on, uh, on paper, and then you get there and they don't know what a Kappa is. And they, they wrote their SOPs by some, by some uh, templates they got in 1999 and they haven't touched them since. So you'll be surprised at what you can find when you go and actually invest the time and money in getting your person out to your suppliers. That's a big one. And having, you know, backup suppliers if it's, if it's, if it's possible. Um, so those are some of the biggest things that I've seen kind of hold companies up overall getting products and, and having a successful company. All right. Well, Erica, I feel like we've, we've covered quite a bit of ground on the conversation today. Is there anything else that you think is important for listeners to, to know or, or, you know, key points that you want them to leave with before we wrap up today? Yeah. You know, I just, I, and I think really grew and it touches back on, on, on um, what I just mentioned of investing in your, in your people. Um, you know, I love, I love when companies do invest in people, not only just to have, you know, high count, that's, you can do that, but also investing in personal and business development growth. Um, I love that we're continuously learning and it does pay off when you can send your quality regulatory people to further training. And let's say if you want your, your quality person to become a quality engineer, you know, help them achieve their goals of improving themselves because they're going to improve themselves and most likely welcome the investment that, that they get from their company and stay there. Um, so investing in people is, is always a good, a good thing to do. Um, and if they grow and learn, your company's going to grow with them. So I, I always like to throw that out there. And I, and I love that Greenlight Guru, we're constantly learning. I'm signed up for this risk management class and I'll be up taking at 5 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm really excited about it. So um, yeah, investing in people and growth. And it'll turn around and that will grow your company as well. I think that's so important. Um, I, I think a lot of times companies, they, they sort of pigeonhole their resources or there's this, you know, hierarchical um, uh, path, you know, that, that, well, <clears throat> like I re- remember early in my career, it's like, oh, you, you're a good engineer. Next step is for you to be a project manager, uh, and don't get me started on why that may not be a good idea, but nonetheless, it was it was a path that that may or may not have aligned with what I wanted to do, or my strengths, or my assets, and 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 that sort of thing. Nobody asked me, well, what do you want to do? You know, yeah. what are you interested in? And I and I think to your point, investing in people, but getting their input in that process is is probably the most important part because uh, your your people, your resources are are the most valuable. Uh, contribute contributors uh, to your business and to the, the the health and sustainability and and the growth of your business and and if your people are happy and they're you know pursuing what they're interested in um, then it's just going to make everything better you know yeah I agree and I and then one last point is I I had this amazing boss back at a one of my first biotech companies and he was just like this jovial happy entrepreneur and just 
he always would come in. He would come in. He did, he owned the company. He wasn't there all the time, but when he did come in, he came in and talked to every single person there and asked, "Are you happy? Are you taking vacation? And what can I help you with? If you want to better your career, if you want to do more training, you can do that." And you know, me being a quality person, he would say, "If you want to go into marketing, if you want to be a rocket scientist, if you want to be a chef." My training, my, you know, my money that I give you guys for bettering yourself is not pigeonholed to, to what you're doing currently in your position. I want you to grow, grow and do whatever it is that makes you happy. And I, that was always such an admirable thing, trait to do. So, um, yeah, when you invest in your people, that stays with them. Well, Erica, I'm so glad uh, that we had a chance to to chat on this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. And folks, preview, um, Erica and I have already talked about briefly the, the next topic that she and I will explore on a, on a future episode. So pay attention. Um, we're going to talk and dive into EUA, the emergency use authorization here very soon. So be on the lookout for that. And folks, thank you so much for for being uh, listeners of the Global Medical Device Podcast. It's because of you why this is the number one pet podcast in the medical device industry. And you know, know that Greenlight Guru, uh, we're here to help you. As you hopefully have learned uh, today from one of our gurus, Erica Loring, we have a lot of depth and experience on all things medical device related. In addition, we also happen to have this pretty awesome kick-ass software platform to help you manage your quality management system and everything that goes into that from design, development, to risk, to document management, change management, quality events like CAPAs and complaints and non-conformances, and it's all in a connected ecosystem. It's all in a single platform. So if you're interested in learning more about that, go to www.greenlight.guru and we request a demo. We'd be happy to have a conversation with you and, and hopefully help you achieve your key milestones and events and, and help you achieve that, that mission of improving the quality of life. So Erica, thank you so much for being a, a guest on the Global Medical Device Podcast. No, absolutely. It was fun. Thank you. Absolutely. Folks, as always, this is your host and founder at Greenlight Guru, John Spear, and you have been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast. <laughs>